0: A person's salvation impacts their home, their work, and their community. And if it doesn't, or if it didn't, you should be concerned. Because the bottom line is, is you were in darkness, and then salvation brings you into great light. And how can you go from darkness into great light, and there not be something transforming and something that's a witness to everybody that knows you? I mean, if I if, if, if I was this in darkness, and now I am transformed and in light, is there not going to be differences? Salvation doesn't happen in secret. All right, well, we are in Acts. Surprise! I'm going to jump right into the text. Acts 16, verse 11. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothras and the following days to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. We left off last week with Paul getting the vision about the man in Macedonia and him saying, come over here and help us. And that once they got the clarity of that vision, everything was set in in direction to get there as quick as possible. And I love how the Bible and history are coordinated. You know, the word of God is true. You can trust it. And and a perfect example is just this little part that tells us right there about Philippi and it being a Roman colony and everything like that. Because in 42 BC, a great battle took place outside of Philippi. And that's when Rome, uh, overtook that whole area, 700 miles in there and made it a Roman colony. And uh, But the thing is, is it was not very Jewish. It was totally outside of their, their area. And so because of that, it did not have a synagogue. and did not have anything organized for the Jewish people. <clears throat> and I'm not sure when it began, but uh, it was a custom of the Jewish people during that time that if they were in a place where there was no synagogue, that on the Sabbath, they would go outside the city and gather together to pray. And so here... We see this. They gathered, uh, or at least Paul, and then went outside of the city, uh, outside the gates, down by the river, in hopes that if there was any Jewish believers, they would be gathered together there praying. And, and so that's why it says, where we suppose there was a place of prayer. And I want to start off with just one simple thing from your text, and that's this. Worshippers will find a place to pray. They will. Worshipers will find a place to prayer, pray. Why? Because It's important. If you're a worshiper of God, you know that you need communion with God. And that's what prayer is. It's not, you know, spelling out all our prayer requests and saying, God, give me this and that and bless this and do that and all. It is communion with God. Anyway, so they went out there and lo and behold, the worshipers were praying because that's what worshipers do and prayer is important. And uh, they found the women down there. And uh, and I just want to say this about women, okay? I don't know what it is about the genetics or the composition of what makes a woman a woman. But by and large, women tend to be more prayer warriors than men, okay? Uh, now, men, that doesn't set you off, you know, off, get you off the hook that you don't need to be A praying person, that you don't need to be a real seeker of God, you do. But the truth of the matter is, for whatever reason, uh, so many of the church's backbone of, of prayer warriors has been women. And you might be here, and that might be something that you're really focused in on. You are a praying woman. If you are a praying woman, Would you please do something for me? Would you please specifically focus your attention every week on praying for this church? You may say, well, I do that. Well, praise God, but I want you to gear it up and pray that this will be a house of prayer and a place of transformation. We need transformation. And so I don't. I don't want to be. You know, business is good, and and everybody's doing good. I want to be the place where lives are transformed, where the hot or where the cold become hot, and the lukewarm become hot, and we get serious about what the Lord is doing in our midst. All right, if that is you, please let me know. I want you to when the services over come to me and say, Pastor, I'm going to be that person all week long that's praying. For God to do great and mighty things and to make this place a, a place of transformation. I had one lady at the end of the second first service came to me and she said, That's me. I'm committed. So there might be several of you out there. Please let me know. I'd appreciate knowing that. Because you see, we have a we have a dilemma today in modern Christianity. And basic, basically it's this: even though prayer is one of the two greatest disciplines of Christianity, it is a lost discipline in our society today. We have probably more Christians who don't really have a prayer life than we could ever imagine. They just don't get it yet. They just don't understand the importance of time in prayer. And so I'm praying that God raises that back up. And that's the reason why I'm asking you to pray for this to be a house of prayer. Pray for us to be a praying group of believers for God to do great and mighty things. Well, anyway, Paul and his team, they were not disappointed. Uh, They found some faithful believers of God. Uh, The Bible says that they sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, one of these people in particular was Lydia. And the Bible describes her as a worshiper of God. And before we go any more into this, uh, I want you to consider that phrase, a worshiper of God. In the Greek, that word is theos, which a lot of people are familiar with that. And that it means the one true God. So she was a worshiper of the one true God. She was in a culture that was Roman and they believed in many gods, but that was not her. She was a worshiper of the one true God. She revered and worshiped God. But here's what's interesting about that. You ready? A few chapters back, there were God-fearing, the very same word that's used here, God-fearing or a worshiper of God. There were some women that were worshipers of God that ran Paul and Barnabas completely out of Pisidia of Antioch. That's exactly the way the Bible describes them. They were God-fearing, they were worshipers of God, and they ran them out of town. And now we have a woman that is marked as a worshiper of God, and she's going to take them into her house and board them. Now, how are we to take that? In your notes, you're going to see this. Some people revere God, but are not seeking after him. Some people revere God, but are not seeking after them. You're looking at such a person in my early days, okay? Okay. Uh, I grew up in a God-fearing home. Now, let me explain what that means. I grew up in a home where you absolutely would never use the Lord's name in vain. Okay? Now, you might use some other words that are not appropriate, but you did not use the Lord's name in vain. We had a Bible that was almost as big as this little stand right here, sat in the center of the coffee table. Nobody ever opened it unless it was to stick a note of somebody's wedding or something that just took place. But, but that, that book was revered. It sat right there on that coffee table and we always knew it was right there. That's God's word. You following me? Maybe some of you were like that. We live by the 10 commandments. Well, except for that, except for the, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We didn't go to church. There are many people in America that basically are there. They would describe themselves as a worshiper of God. They revere God. They they, they believe there are things they should not do because God's watching. They don't read their Bible. They don't pray. They don't spend time with God. They don't talk to God, but they have this reverence for God that, that, you know, I mean, he's God. They don't know him, but they revere him. The Bible talks about a form of godliness, but denies the power thereof. I'm going to just say real quickly that um, people sometimes in that category right there, that have this form of godliness. They are very difficult to reach. Because they have this mentality about God and, and that they revere Him, so therefore, in some form or fashion, they justify that they're okay with Him. And because of that mentality, uh, they are resistant to the Holy Spirit. Very difficult to bring around to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But on the other side, there are others that are they they, they don't really know what they believe about God. But they have this, they 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 are looking for something. They have a, a, a an interest in the truth. And there is something inside of them that, that sort of says, I I, I want to know that which is worthy of my life. If there's a God like that, I'm interested in that God. And I want you to know something because those are the people that we are. We need to always be targeting, okay? Folks, listen, we may look around and say, boy, this is just, you know, this is a hard area to reach people and bring them into the knowledge of God. I I don't think like that. There are people out there that are looking for truth. That's that's our target. That's who we want to spend our time reaching out to. That's who Lydia was. That's who these women that had gathered together to pray. That's who they were. That's who I was. I absolutely believed in God. I reverenced God, but I had no clue whatsoever about the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Do you understand the difference between that? There's an idea that God is, but the whole concept of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, the personalizing that of him becoming my savior, my redeemer, that part wasn't clicking. So looking back, you know, I would basically describe what I was as what I see a lot of people as right now. And that is they have an idea about God, but they don't know what he wants. If he has a particular plan and a want in their life. The whole concept, folks, that's what I want you to get. The whole concept that Jesus Christ is a personal redeemer and that what he did on the cross was not a blanket across humanity but was an individual invitation into the knowledge of his love and his ability to transform your life. That part's the part that don't click. And that's the part we have to help him understand. Lydia was a believer in God. She was one who honored. She honored him so much she prayed, but she was praying to the God of the Jews who has been faithful to the Jewish people, who were, who was the God of covenant to the Jewish people. She did not know that there was a personal redeemer who had died on the cross and was there to transform and save her. But the Bible says the Lord opened her heart. That is five amazing words the lord opened her heart i would say it like this it clicked it clicked all of a sudden she saw truth and it was very very clear listen truth becoming clear so that you are you you embrace it and realize yes yes That's what I've been looking for. That's what I didn't know. That's what I didn't understand. That Jesus Christ literally wants to come into this life. He has a plan specifically for Keith Jones. It will not fit over here in this person. It will not work in this person, but it is specifically for Keith Jones. And he redeemed me to make that purpose happen. I want to tell you something. When faith and truth collide, your faith, his truth, when that collides, folks, that is your salvation. That's when it it becomes real. It's not knowledge. It is when your faith collides with his truth that he is a personal redeeming God and that he died for you. That he and he alone can pull the sin out and put the grace in until that happens. You don't get it. Here's the beauty of the story. She's the reason why Paul, now she's not the only reason, but she's the reason why Paul and his team made it to Philippi. I'm gonna share something with you. It's the truth as I see it in the scriptures. And I want you to just listen closely and then listen to my explanation because you may have heard it from different angles, taught it from a different way. But I'm gonna keep it really simple. But I'm gonna start with the scriptures. Look at what it says in Romans 8 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, I don't know how you were taught that, but I want you to hear me very clearly. This is not, this verse is not teaching that predestination is determined by God and is not impacted by your will. It is not saying that. Okay? What it is teaching us is that a sovereign, omniscient God knows everything. A sovereign, omniscient God knows everything. That's the reason why the world is doing exactly what it's, what it's, what it's supposed to be doing, because he's already known. And it's already, and it's going to come to pass as, as he designed it. Now, because he is a sovereign, omniscient God he knows every person's heart. And he knows whether or not you will or will not accept him. Now, I'm not even going to ask you to say amen or I agree. But I want you to understand that he knows who will and who will not. He knows. He wouldn't be sovereign if he didn't. If there's one thing he doesn't know, he's not sovereign, he's not omniscient. So he knows. Now, here's the beauty of it. Because he knows who will, he schedules their appointment. He schedules their appointment in advance. Before I was ever even born, listen, now this might be mind blowing, but follow me. Before I was ever even born, he did not predestine me to salvation. But because he knew, that I would say yes. And even though I was unchurched and never went to church, I was invited to a church service. And at that church service, I heard about the love of Jesus Christ and his desire to save my soul and to be my Lord. And I had my meeting, my opportunity to receive him as Lord of my life. I was raised with this mentality that was always scary to me. And that is, if I don't help my missionaries, people are gonna die and go to hell. and It's gonna be my fault because I didn't do enough. Now, I got news for you. That is not the way it works. That's not the way it works. For who God knows He sets up their opportunity. He sets up their opportunity. Even before they can even imagine, he puts in place that moment where they are going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ and they're going to respond to it. Because a God that would go to the cross and die for me is going to give me my chance to accept that. Because he's a sovereign, omniscient God. He's a powerful God. He's an unlimited God. So, because He knows who will, He puts a meeting time in, in, in place, an appointment in place, and then He schedules exactly some opportunity that brings those two together. I shared in the first service about my. I was in I was in college, Southwestern, and they made an announcement. They said anybody that would like to go with Teen Challenge downtown and and share their faith with. Whoever on the streets of Dallas, uh, there'll be a bus in the parking lot at like five o'clock. And I had something inside of me go, you need to do that. Well, as it got closer to it, it got yucky, like cold, drizzle. And so I went into a prayer room and I said, Lord, I said, I said there's not gonna be anybody out tonight. I said, maybe one or two here and there. That's when the Lord got me. He said, in one or two? I mean, he didn't say this, but you know, afterward it is like, what, what do you think you're going to do? A street revival? I mean, one or two is all you're after. So I went. Never dreamed that under the eve in the drizzling rain that I would spend two to three hours talking to this guy, and he would give his life to Jesus. You see, who God knows, He's going to provide an opportunity. He's going he's gonna to arrange things. The God that made the heavens and the earth can surely put a Paul with a Lydia whose heart is ready to receive when it's time. He is that big. And that's what makes, this, makes our job so important. Folks, our job is very important because like Paul and his team in Philippi, we are here to reach those whose appointments are coming due in Labette County, and by way of video, those that may not be in Labette County, but this video is going to be the opportunity that's going to open your eyes. That's why it's, this is—it's our job, our job. Because God's got appointments that are coming due. If we're living in the last days, folks, I promise you, there are a lot of appointments come and due. We just need to be available. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, lead me to those whose hearts are starting to open and they're ready to respond. And now this might bother you, but I'm going to say it anyway because that's the way I am. Listen, I don't feel like our purpose is here to try to heat up some cold hearts are to argue with the indifferent. Our job is to just draw, try to reach the lost sheep that are in this area while we're praying for our missionaries to do the same wherever they are. Because you know, here's what Jesus said in John ten sixteen: I have other sheep that are not in this fold or not of this fold. I must bring them in as well and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus says, I have sheep that's not here yet, but they will respond to my voice because in the end, folks, it's just one flock and one shepherd. Our job is just... Try to be that voice. In fact, I, I take that that part right there where he says that I must bring them in. That, that's our marching orders, to just be that voice out there. Jesus knows the sheep that are not in the fold yet, and 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 I, and this is very important. Please hear this. You might be here, and you might be one of those sheep. You have some kind of knowledge of God. You have some kind of understanding, but but. You are not saved. And today, his voice is calling out to you. And if you recognize that voice, you need to respond to it. Because without him, you are, you are without direction and you are without protection. But with him comes the beauty of his plan particular for you to begin to get into motion. And I believe this, folks. I believe lost sheep are not obstinate. They're just lost. They're just lost. I've always been fascinated that Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia and then he got there, it turned out to be a woman named Lydia. Now here they are. And if you remember where they're meeting, they're by a river, right? And so like Philip and the Eunuch is like, well, here's water. What are we waiting on? And the Bible says that that she was baptized immediately in her household. Now, I don't know what her household was made up of. There's never any talk about her husband. Um, but she could have been a widow, could have had children, or her household could have been the people that served her and worked for her. She was a business person, a seller of purple, Uh, In that day and time, that'd be like selling Neiman Marcus stuff, okay? It was high end. Um, But they responded, and then they got baptized. If you're here and you have given your life to Jesus, but you haven't been baptized in water, we're doing that next week, giving you an opportunity to follow in that instruction. But maybe you're here today, and today is going to be your meeting day with Jesus. And you're going to respond and you're going to say, yes, Lord. And if so, then boom, next week, come back. Because there doesn't need to be a bunch of time between your salvation and your water baptism. Like I said last week about how you need to be conscious if you're wandering. Remember that? You are here last week. When you wander, you don't wander alone. While Paul was trying to figure out what in the world he was, where he was supposed to be. He had a group traveling with him. Well, to the same degree, I want you to understand something. Your salvation doesn't just impact you. It impacts those that are close to you. It impacts those around you. It's very important. Your salvation changes everything. The joy of Jesus transforming your life becomes the greatest witness there is Of who God is and how great his power is. A person's salvation impacts their home, their work, and their community. And if it doesn't, or if it didn't, you should be concerned. Because the bottom line is, is you were in darkness, and then salvation brings you into great light. And how can you go from darkness into great light, and there not be something transforming, and something that's a witness to everybody that knows you? I mean, if I if, if if I was this in darkness, and now I am transformed and in light, is there not going to be differences? Salvation doesn't happen in secret. It can't. There's no secret salvations. I've seen people say, "Well, you know what? He's he's probably saved." What makes you say that? Well, you know, he's been to church a bunch of times. He's he's somewhere along the line. He probably got it. No, if you're still in darkness, you're not saved. When you get saved, it's it it, the light comes on. You become light. Christ in you. You know, a little bit later in this chapter, the jailer is going to get saved. And to show you how it impacts everything, the Bible reads in verse 34, it says, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. His whole household is rejoicing. This is like three o'clock in the morning and they're all having a rejoicing moment. Why? Because dad got saved. It impacts your household. If it's real, you don't hide it under a bushel, right? What's the answer to that? Hide it under a bushel, Do y'all remember being kids? Did did y'all ever sing that when you were a kid? Hide it under a bushel. That's not the way kids do it. They go, no! Why? Because you can't. I mean, in reality, you can't. So I'm going to say again, something that may sound a little harsh, but folks, if your bulb is not on, and I'm not talking about your elevator getting to the top, I'm, I'm not talking about your acuity. I'm talking about your light. If your bulb is not on, would you need to spend some time with God and talk about this? That's disconcerting. If you are His, everybody around you should begin to know that. The greatest hope our home and our friends and everybody has is this genuine love of Jesus Christ that is so real in us that it begins to impact our household. Paul said to the jailer, and he said it with absolute confidence. He said this, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And I believe that's on the basis of the simple fact that when you genuinely get fired up about God, it begins to transform those that are around you. Some might like you less, but they will have an opinion. But boy, it sure has an impact upon your home because you know what? If you really want to impact your household, you need to get serious about Jesus. Because just a little bit of Jesus means not much is in the home. If he doesn't fill up your life, what chance does he have of filling up your home? And we are way too late in the game to play around and not commit ourselves wholly unto the Lord. Anyway, our our text concludes. It says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. If what you see is real, then won't you come stay in my house? And the church of Philippi was born right there. It began in Lydia's home because her heart was open to the Lord. She went from believing there was a God to knowing a savior and that transformation Began to be a transformation in the city of Philippi. So much so that we even have a book called what? Letters to the book of Philippians because that church became a real and a dynamic force. And it all began because of a divine appointment. The chances of them finding each other so quickly, that it was just God just like it's just God, if you're in this room today and he's opening your eyes and your heart to see. I want you to bow your heads, but I don't want you to tune out. Just bow your heads and listen really closely because I'm gonna talk to you for a moment. So I want you to listen. You are not saved because you believe in God and you go to church every now and then. Folks, that is not salvation. And God is not going to measure your good versus your bad qualities when you die and stand before him. He is not going to make a decision at that time. He gave us his word. The Bible says he gave us his word so that we might know that we have eternal life in him. If you're here and something on the inside of you is stirred, maybe something is speaking to you. First of all, I want you to know what that is. That is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that draws us. He's the one that opens our heart to receive. Do not ignore this moment. If the Spirit's in your heart, It's because your appointed time has come. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Jesus is offering you your salvation. And this is where it gets personal, folks, because Jesus is not looking for you to become a member of Center Bethel or to sign some card or shake my hand. He is looking for you inviting you to come into a relationship where every day he is real in your walk, where he can transform you into something far beyond what you ever dreamed you might be in Christ. And if that is you, then in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to come forward because I'm going to pray with you. Everybody else will be leaving, but you and I are going to have a moment to pray together because we need to have something solid in our time. And you may be thinking, I don't know that I can walk up there You know, there's people in this church that think, well, you know, I'm already saved. What matters right this moment? What people think or what God's offering you? If you are not where you're supposed to be in Christ Jesus, if you don't have him as Lord of your life and you know that on the basis of whether or not you're doing your life in Jesus or doing your life by yourself, if that's not so, then friend, listen to me. That stirring in your heart is the Holy Spirit saying, this is your time. So I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And while I'm praying that prayer of dismissal, either while I'm praying it or when I get done and people are leaving, I'm going to be right up here at the front and I invite you to join me. Because divine appointments, they just don't happen every day. This is your moment. This is your moment. I'm not saying it's your only one, but I'm saying I wouldn't miss it for anything in the world. So with your heads bowed, let's pray. Father, you know it's not in my heart to ever coerce anybody. I don't want to paint hell so hot that they respond. But Lord Jesus, you know you know if we have this respect for God, but we do not have a relationship with you. You know if we've gone to church out of a tradition or out of a, a ideology that that somehow this is what makes God happy. But Lord, if, if there are some in this room and they have in some form or fashioned had an idea that they are saved without a personal acknowledgement of Jesus as the the Savior, as the one who comes into their heart and transforms them. If they've they've disconnected these two points together, I know it can be done because I did it. There was a group of Jewish women out there praying. They, they, They had a reverence for God without a knowledge of Jesus. So God, I pray today, as your word says in Hebrews, if we will not harden our heart, if we will not harden our heart, but we'll let the Lord open it to receive. I pray you bless everybody that's in this room Lord, I know without a shadow of a doubt that this morning there was somebody that got up and walked out and I know, I'm not a judge, but I know, I know you were were stirring their heart. God, I pray that let it not be so this service. Let us not harden and just walk out like we've done so many times. You're inviting us to the best life we'll ever know full of hope, full of promises, with a joy that cannot be matched in this world. So while many may go out to their afternoon or whatever, let those whose hearts are stirred surrender to you now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. You're dismissed, God bless you.